Hello and welcome to Quick Link Podcast on Tuesday the 25th of May. It's the second rest day at the Giro d'Italia and absolutely nothing of interest has happened whatsoever. However, there was one race being held today in Germany and we've also got Jez Cox coming up with the 16th part in his A to Z of road racing tactics. So with no news to report from the Giro rest day, let's head straight to Germany for the day's racing action. The Thuringen Ladies Tour is one of the oldest stage races on the women's calendar, just eight years younger than Alejandro Valverde, holding its maiden edition back in 1988. The race fell foul of Covid, as did many events last year, and returned to the calendar in 2021 with the help of a very successful crowdfunding campaign. For today's opening stage, starting and finishing in Schmoln, heading southeast from the town and heading clockwise via Goschnitz, Poznitz and through Sommeritz for the day's QOM point and back into town to complete the loop. Three of those for a total of 89 kilometres and 1,000 metres of climbing. First attacks went on that initial ascent of the QOM point near Sommeritz, where 10 riders went clear over the top. First crossing the summit was Catherine Hammers of Seratizit ahead of a 3km run back to the start line to end the first lap. Taking the preem there was Lizzie Dynan of Trek Segafredo. Over the line for the first time then, the lead group, Catherine Hammers of Seratizit, Amy Peters of SD Works, Lizzie Dynan of Trek Segafredo, Anna Henderson of Jumbo Visma, Kristen Faulkner of Tibco, Frederica Stern representing the German national team, Varu Demay of the Belgian squad, Amelia Farlin of FTJ, Leanne Lippert of DSM and Alexis Ryan of Canyon SRAM. Movistar, the only World Tour team to miss out on that break, which had about a minute's lead halfway through the stage. But Movistar were driving at the front of the bunch and seven riders eventually made it across to the break up and over Sommeritz for the second time of the three laps. Stern losing contact from the break. Emma Norsgaard had bridged across, so Movistar did get a rider in that break in the end. SD Works had a second rider with Christine Majeris, as did Jumbo Visma with Romy Kasper. And Canyon Sram had a second rider there with Tiffany Cromwell, while Trek had swelled their numbers to three with Lucinda Brand and Audrey Cordon Rago joining Lizzie Dynan. Clara Koppenberg of the German squad and Lotta Kopetsky of Belgium had also bridged across. Ten kilometres from home, the 16 leaders in the break now had a 35 second advantage. Kasper, Majerus, Ryan, Deme, Cordon, Rago and Koppenberg distance on the final climb as the pace was set to full beans for the 3k run into Schmolin. Farlin and Dynan were gapped, leaving 9 to contest the reduced sprint. That became 7 as Faulkner and Hammers ran out of gas, having been in that early break. So Emma Norsgaard with the freshest legs after her team had been pulling for her to bridge across. She held off the rest in the sprint and she takes her third consecutive win after two stages at the festival Elsie Jacobs in Luxembourg three weeks ago. Emma Norsgaard of Movistar with the race lead, sprints and young rider jerseys. Second place for Lucinda Brand of Trek Segafredo. Lotta Kopetsky of Live Racing, but today representing the Belgian national team was in third. Anna Henderson fourth, Amy Peters fifth. Then Cromwell, Lippert, Faulkner, Hammers and Farlin sixth to tenth. Leanne Lippert takes the Mountains jersey. She was second and then first over the opening two climbs of that ascent. Tomorrow, 125 kilometres from Gera in an anti-clockwise loop via Polzig for a prime and then heading southwest to the climbs of the 17% Durenberg and then the deceptive two-part Kalterborn. Two laps of that and job done. And now I hand over the microphone for my favourite part of the week. It's time for our weekly episode of Jez Cox's Road Race Tactics Guide. This week we're up to the letter P. Panache, pulling a turn, prime hunting. Let's find out. Here's Jez. P is for pressing on. The 16th letter of the alphabet is P, which of course means that we only have 10 to go. 
P for pressing on. Pressing on is really a track cycling term that's made its way into road coaching and tactical talk. It stems effectively from the use of fixed gears and the need for riders on a steep bank track to, well, speed up basically, to avoid skid panning down the banking and landing track centre. If you watch a novice indoor track coaching or accreditation session, you'll often hear a coach calmly but firmly shouting, press on, in a cheerful way in the direction of the banking. It's calm and cheerful and firm, but what they really mean is for sake pedal because you're about to take everyone out beneath you. It's a useful image in a way for these road racing tactics because of course that fixed gear track pressing on should be done seated and by simply applying a measured and gradual increase of pressure on the pedals. It might be completely unnoticeable to all but the coach who bellowed it and it might just save someone's teeth. Now thankfully the art of pressing on as a tactic is extremely useful in both road racing and circuit racing. The key principle to take from the track though is that it should be seated without changing gear and as smooth and unnoticeable as possible. Basically it's an all-out attack where you do everything you can not to look like you're attacking at all. Visually the form of the rider is simple. The position you're in on the bike must not change prior to or during that seated drive as you press on. You might choose to use it to attack a group or even to attempt to bridge a gap that no one else wants to close for instance. Either way, you don't want to signal what you're intending to do at any point whatsoever. It's also pretty much the only solo attacking I'll be recommending in this series that works best or in fact only works from the front of the bunch. And there's a reason for that. The real fruit with this one is in the few seconds before you actually press on. The groundwork needs to be laid by the rider, signifying to, group, to the group that they are getting out of the way and have no intention of attacking, chasing or doing anything really. Ideally, throw some acting in there for good measure too, as always. Whatever your acting involves, it does need to carry you slightly ahead and to one side of the group or peloton that you're in. So an ideal scenario would be that you are sitting first or second wheel and then you pull out of that line to either shake your head and look back at those riders as if to indicate you're not happy with how it's working or swing forward and left and give yourself the space to reach down to your bottle and do so. Touch the bottle but don't pick it up yet. Just let your fingers linger on it or ride forward and off to the side, indicating to someone, anyone, that you want to feed. A jacket, a yellow rubber ducky, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. My point is, you squeeze out the front, off to the side, making like you're having nothing more to do with the front of this race, and then, of course, having bought yourself those few metres, and with hand in pocket, on bottle, on brake lever, on rubber ducky, whatever it is, as you angrily try to adjust that rubbing brake before the group catches you again, you gradually press on. And of course, you do so without changing your form or gear at all. Of course, as soon as you've got an even bigger gap, the trick is up and you can tuck it, gear up and engage your inner ganner. I am happy to admit, by the way, that over my time racing on two wheels, I've tried every type of trickery and skullduggery out there. And I guess that's why I'm giving you them all back in this podcast. But they were born out of necessity for me. Today, my own Oakland Wolves Academy riders would tell you how hopeless my sprint is. And it was no better 20 years ago, so finding ways to trick your way up the road became a thing. I can actually remember my mum 
of all people, coming to watch me in a road race one summer. And we'd been told that we were allowed to feed from anywhere as it was such a hot day. My lovely mum, Anne, took two bottles and I dispatched her to wait on a rolling but advantageous hill, telling her I would definitely need a bottle on that first lap and she must not miss me. So hold it high up and keep looking for me, mum, as she did. Why she didn't question that we'd only have done about three miles by that point and I had two full bottles on my bike anyway, I'll never know, but that's mum's for you, isn't it? And you can guess what I did. She held the bottle so high and so obviously that, of course, as I indicated right and pushed my way off the front of the bunch to get that much needed third full bottle, everyone let me go ahead and get it. I even raised my hand as if to take it, but this was just a cruel bluff for both my mum and the bunch because with arms still raised, I just started pressing on and passed her. And I seem to remember it worked too because I was shortly joined by five or six other riders and eventually later in the race, of course, I was spat from the very same group that I'd lovingly crafted myself, still. That's karma, maybe. Anyway, enough about me chipping my way around the good old days, though. One of my favourite pressing-on wins that I've had the pleasure of commentating on came in the 2019 Tour of Denmark. The undulating second stage, leading some of ten or more riders, came to the finish together, and it contained the Belgian Tej Benoot, riding for Lotto Soudal, as he was then. In, Benut, in, in the, the, the group as well was Benut's teammate, Jasper de Boist, who was almost certainly the strongest sprinter in there. <clears throat> the run into the finish was a, a big, straight, wide, fast descent, which spilled straight into a flat couple of hundred metres to the finish line. Now, the textbook says that Benut should be working for de Boist, and everyone in there would know that. So, of course, the textbook becomes the instrument with which to beat them. We can all do a fast turn on the front of a descending peloton and make it look impressive and purposeful, and that's exactly what Benoit did until uh, did with the others, sorry, lined out on his wheel. But he swung off early and went out wide, of course, flicking his elbow and panting as he did, so as to give it the indication of I'm done, over to you, Jasper. Telegrams sent to that group, and of course, as the group took this in, without a change in form or a click of gear, he simply started pressing on. Three metres, six metres, and he was gone. He had time to celebrate, and Jasper de Bus took the sprint for second behind two, so the perfect day. Tej Benut is always, by the way, a fascinating rider to watch. Whenever you see a rider who's so tall and catches lots of wind, but who isn't a recognised sprinter or climber or time trialist, then you know they're getting something right to be as active and consistent as he is. As well as having lungs like rubber buckets and legs like steam engine pistons, he also has a very polished tactical toolbox, and he's not afraid to use it. So, P, pressing on. Try it on your next group ride. They'll hate you. No, try it in a race. If it works, they will hate you. No, try it as you roll to the shops with the kids. They'll hate you too. Hmm, and that's exactly why we do it. You can find Jez on Twitter at JezCox and at JezCox.com, J-E-Z-C-O-X. Next week, the 17th part, and it's the letter Q. Let's all wish Jez some luck with that one. Other races we need to report on, and they were both from yesterday, with Arthur Klukas of Leopard Pro Cycling. He is your new under-23 road champion of Luxembourg. I know we're all waiting for the details on that one. And Valère Thibault is his Swiss equivalent. 
Those were the two results missing from yesterday's combined tri-nation uh, German-Swiss-Luxembourg National Champions under-23 road race at the Saxon Ring, which was won by Kim Heiduck of Germany. It's a Giro rest day, so let's have a peek at Velo Games after stage 16. And Danilo Strinati is back on top with his All-Stars team, the first of our show league to pass 5,000 points. He's on 5091 and just outside the worldwide top 100. Second place is Sean McCulloch's peaky third weekers. They are on 4908. And third place is Geronimo UC's Jerome team on 4878. Negdu's eponymous team slips to fourth on 4797. And Matt G from the Quicklink team is fifth on 4770. Tomorrow, the Giro d'Italia resumes with stage 17 and 193 kilometres from Canazai, descending into the Lessina Valley before tackling Paso San Valentino, 15k at 8%. Down the other side, then straight back up the finishing climb of Sega di Ala and its 17% slopes. Egan Bernal is the Malia Rosa, Damiano Caruso second overall at 2.24, Hugh Carthy is third at 3.40, Vlasov at 4.18 and Yates at 4.20, blaze it. A maximum 89 King of the Mountains points are on offer tomorrow. Jeffrey Bouchard leads with 136 to Bernal on 107. Molomar is next best on 53. There's 27 on offer for the Maglia Ciclamino contest. Peter Sagan holds a 22-point lead over David Cimolai. In the minor classifications, just because we never talk about them, Umberto Marengo, he leads the intermediate sprints competition. Dries de Bont leads the combativity award. And Simon Pello is leading the breakaway contest. They are three things you probably didn't know existed. Per assemblare versare una piccola quantità di ragù sul fondo della teglia. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news, results, opinion and chat. We'll be back tomorrow with another show, but in the meantime, you can hear all of our previous episodes at quicklinkpod.co.uk and find us across social media at quicklinkpod. If fantasy cycling is your thing, our Velo Games show league code is 57273217. Like and subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye now. <laughs>